I would invite all of you here in the room and on the live stream to turn in your Bible to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's a short one, so the easiest way to find it is to go to Matthew and then hit reverse. You're going to run right into it. So go to the book of Malachi, please, chapter 3. We'll, we will be in verses 6 to 12. And while, you, while you're finding that, I want to tell you about a TV show. It was probably 15, 20 years ago that I first became aware of a television show called Dirty Jobs. I've, I wonder if any of you here have ever heard of the show Dirty Jobs. It was hosted by a guy named Mike Rowe. And what Mike would do in this job is he would go and visit people who had, these are real jobs, okay, every job I'm going to tell you about is a real job, uh, but these are jobs that, that most people would never want to do, or probably could never be paid enough money to do them, and he would just experience a day in the life of these people who had these dirty jobs. So I went through the episode list, because it's been forever since I've seen any of the show, and I picked out some of my favorite dirty jobs to share with you all this morning. These are all real jobs. Bat cave scavenger, worm dung farmer, garbage pit technician, sheep castrator, leech trapper, maggot farmer, gourd maker, baloney maker. If you like baloney, don't watch that one, okay? <laughs> Lightning rod installer, and medical waste disposal expert. Those are all real jobs. You know, I've told you before, I have two sons who wrestle, and a lot of times with wrestling, it is not pretty. It is rough. There's cuts on their bodies. Their fingers are jammed and twisted, but they do what they have to do to get the win. Let me tell you about a dirty job in the Bible. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, while occasionally held in high esteem by the people, more often than not, their job was to go to the people or even to go to the king like Nathan went to David and to say, here's your sin. Here's how you are not following the Lord. And here's what the Lord is calling you to do. It was not an easy job, but it was a necessary job for God's people. We don't know a lot about Malachi. His name literally means my messenger, and scholars usually date this book about 450 B.C., the last book God gave us until Jesus came. At the time, the temple had been rebuilt. The people had come out of exile, but the temple was nothing like it had been. It didn't have its old glory. And to be honest, the people were just treating it like garbage. The temple was underfunded. It was understaffed. When it came time to give a sacrifice, the people thought, well, they looked at their flocks and they thought, well, who's the animal that's just about dead anyway? Somebody get the blind sheep. We're not going to give God the best. We're going to give him the worst. So the way the book of Malachi is structured is that Malachi, it's structured, it's very interesting. Those of you who are legal buffs, those of you who are lawyers or you like law and order, you would like Malachi 
because it's structured like a courtroom setting. And Malachi is the prosecutor, and the people are on the defense. And Malachi, the prosecutor, is saying to the people, here's the charges. Let's hear the charges that God brought to his people. And Malachi, chapter 3, starting at verse 6 through verse 12, this is the word of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let us Go before God and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would speak now. Speak through Your Word, through the power of Your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Four brief points today. The warning, the blessing the practical, and the motivation. Let's start with the warning. God says to His people, and when God uses the word rob, He's not playing around, you are robbing me. Now, I want to remind you that when the Scriptures were written, as certainly in the Old Testament days, and even in the New Testament days, paper was very precious. I mean, they thought about every single word that they wrote. And I want you to notice that in a setting where every word mattered, the word robbed is used four times. Four times in two verses the word robbed is used. God is not playing around with His people. God is saying to His people, I have been faithful to you. We entered into a covenant together. Here's the covenant that God makes with his people. It's still the same today. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the covenant. And God says, we're in a covenant together and I'm doing my part. But you are not doing yours. You don't really care about me. You don't care about relationship with me. And so you are robbing me. Let's ask this question. Is it possible to rob God today for His people? I think the answer is yes. Now, Pastor Eric very ably told us last week that 
the Old Testament prescription of the tithe is not applied in the New Testament. You won't find a New Testament verse that says you have to tithe. But we do know that the law is not diminished in the Old Testament, it's only increased. So Jesus doesn't say adultery is only adultery if you do it. He says it's adultery if you think about it. So I believe it is still possible to rob God today. Not that anyone will stand before God and he'll say, here's all your W-2s, let's do the math, okay, 10% would equal this, you didn't do that. Not any of that. I think it is in terms of a failure to live generously with your wealth and with everything that you have been given. It's a matter between the believer and God. I think it is not living generously in light of all that God has given us. Now let's talk about the blessing. God says, I want to bless my people. He even says, I want to bless your socks off. I want to give you so much that it's overflowing. If you, and it's amazing because the Bible says don't test God, but God's allowed to say test me when he wants. And so speaking as, through the, as the voice of God, Malachi says, God, he lays down the challenge. Look, test me in this. See if I won't provide for you. Now, here's why in the modern church, the faithful church, we struggle so much. Here's a big reason why we struggle so much to talk about money. Because there are so many fraudsters and hucksters and health and wealth people out there who just say, look, you just give, you sow the tithe, you sow the seed, God's going to make you rich, He's going to give you the perfect health that you want, and so then we rightly recognizing that as a distortion of the Scripture, can be tempted to say that, that God doesn't bless His people at all when they give. But listen to the, how, how careful the NIV study Bible is about this passage. It says, this passage is not a formula for achieving personal wealth, as some claim. Although it is possible to give freely and attain more wealth as a general principle. See Proverbs 11.24. You know what Proverbs 11.24 says? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. As a principle, we often see God's blessing. Of course, we never want to demand that God has to bless in a certain way. That's what's so wrong about that teaching is to say God has to do it financially. He has to do it with health. But I will also point you to Jesus' words in Luke 6, 38, where Jesus says, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. That's from the lips of Jesus himself. Here's how I think we can think about the blessing. Because God says he wants to bless his people when they give. I think the right way to think about the blessing is from that great hymn that we all love. When it says, all I hath needed, thy hand hath provided. That's the blessing. It's God promising to his people, saying, I will meet all of your needs in my way, in my timing, for it's my provision, my plan, my blessing over you. Let me be the one to determine what the blessing will look like, 
Don't try to constrain me and how I provide for my people, but just trust me. And as I was reflecting on that beautiful hymn this week, I said to myself, Lord, yes, it is true. In my own life, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Lord, you always come through for your people. That's the blessing that we are talking about. Yes, we do need to be careful to try to make some kind of one-to-one, if I do this, God's going to give me this. But let's not suck all of the power out of the verse when God says He wants to bless His people and that He delights to bless His people. Let me say a word about the practical. If you're new here, by the way, we're in a series on stewardship, as you can probably tell by now. And this is the final message. But I want to say something practical about not just money, but about everything that God's given us. I want to answer some practical questions that you may have. Here's, here's a question. What, Pastor, what if I have not been faithful in giving? Or maybe I haven't been faithful in another area of my life. I haven't been faithful with my body. I've abused my body. I've put stuff into my body I know God doesn't want me to do. I've done other things. What, or, or, or my time. I, I've fritted away so much of my time. God, or my talents. I, had, I have so much to give. I could give here. I could do this. I have this ability, but I don't want to, I want to keep it for myself. What do I do? What do I do if I have not been faithful to the Lord in an area of stewardship? Well, the answer is, what do we do when we have not been faithful to the Lord in any area of our lives? We tell God we're sorry. We say, Lord, your Spirit's made it clear to me. This is an area that I need to change in my life. We repent We tell the Lord, Lord, I I recognize I've been greedy in this area. It may not be money, maybe something else. Lord, I need your forgiveness. And the way you know it's real repentance is not just to cry tears, because anyone's capable of crying tears, but it's to have a resolve to want to turn and go the other way. That's what the biblical word repentance means. It means not just feeling sorry for your sin, but then desiring to go in a different direction. The word literally means, repent means, you're going one way, you turn around, and you walk the other way. And here's what's so wonderful about God. God is not waiting for that prayer and saying, okay, let's collect on back taxes. God is not like the IRS. God's not coming. He's not going to withhold. He's not going to say, okay, let's get out the calculator. He just says, my child, thank you for being honest with me, for turning from your sin. Come into my embrace. He already knows our sin. We don't have to tell him. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you love the biblical doctrine of repentance? It is a beautiful doctrine for one of God's children because when we belong to God, when we repent, We don't repent thinking he's going to bring the hammer on us. We repent knowing that we're going to get up off our knees and feel clean and feel washed and feel his love 
and feel his embrace and, and see that he is shaping us to be more like Christ, it's all acceptance. It's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you love repentance? Oh, it's so beautiful, my friends, when we go to our loving God and he says, it's already been paid for. Let my spirit come alongside you and help you in this area. Let me answer another practical question that some may have. Some may, and, and this one is about money. Some may say, you know what, the honest truth is I am just terrible with money. I am, I am a bad, I'm just, I'm awful at it. Uh, I, I struggle to, to not constantly have debt on my credit cards. I struggle to, to spend too much money. It's just always been I'm good in other areas, but in that area, I'm just, I'm not good. Well, let me give you a very practical suggestion. There are many wonderful apps out there that can help you budget. Betsy and I use an app. It's called Every Dollar. It costs us 120 bucks a year. We track all of our expenses with that. It has been one of the most freeing things that has ever happened to us financially because we don't guess. We don't have to wonder anymore. We literally have an app. The app does all the work for you. You just have to check. Can we go out and spend 100 bucks tonight out to eat? Well, let's see if the app says, okay, we got 100 bucks in the out to eat fund. Let's do it. And it has been so freeing and it has removed the struggle to handle money well. And it has also, and I'll tell you this, it also helps you if you struggle with stinginess. Because if you struggle with stinginess, you think, well, I don't know if I can give because the truth is, I don't, what if this thing happens over here and then I won't have enough money? But when you budget well, you have a fund for that. You budget your giving, you budget your other things. And so you know, okay, the Lord is, has, uh, I have these other areas of my life and I don't have to worry about giving to the Lord. There's probably a dozen other really good apps out there that can help you manage money. But if you've never done it, I would strongly encourage you for those of you who might struggle with managing money. One final practical question people might have. What about waiting until I feel more financially secure to give? And I think we all have been here. We've all thought to ourselves, well, just once everybody's through college, once the house is paid off, once every bill is paid off, I would just encourage us to step out in faith. Uh, you might want to, might be helped by the midweek I wrote this past week about stepping out in faith. But I do think that there is, it's just human nature to always want to say, there'll come a day and then I'll do it. So those are just some practical tips. And now I want to get to really what I've been excited to talk to you about this morning, which is the motivation of our giving. And not just our financial giving, but all of our giving. Has it occurred to you that the most famous verse in the Bible, in our modern day, uses the word give? Have you thought about that? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is the message of giving. The, message, the gospel is the message that God 
freely gives his grace to people who need it, to people who are lost, to people who come to that realization, I can't do life without God. God, my friends, is the most cheerful giver of them all. The gospel is the message of God giving to us. And if we really understand the gospel, we will, we will grasp that. Because it's so easy to think deep down in some place, you know what, I have earned Jesus. I have lived a pretty good life. I have been a pretty nice person. But the gospel is the message that we are lost in our sin. We have rebelled against God and that He has freely chosen to give to us a gift that is greater than any amount of money or anything in this world. He has given us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I want to state this principle because I really believe it's biblical. Here's a principle to live by. The more we understand and cherish the gospel the more we will want to live generous lives. The more that we understand and cherish, because remember, to be a Christian, it's never just about understanding. It has to, it has to be in your heart. And cherish the gospel. The more that giving will become something that just, and again, this is all giving. This is not just financial giving. Giving will become something that just flows out of us. We will want to give. We will delight in giving. Notice I said we will want to live more generous lives. Not we will un- the more we understand and cherish the gospel, the more we will feel like we should live generous lives. But it will just become part of who we are. Because it is such a core part of who God is. God's a giver. God has given us the best. God continues to provide for our needs every single day. And the more that changes us and gets within our heart, the more we just want to give. You want to know a story of a man who at one time was controlled by money? There's a story right in your Bible. Money had a grip on his life. He lived for money. He'd made a lot of money I mean, easily a millionaire by modern standards. And that was his life. And then he met Jesus. You want to know where that story is? Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? It's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He cheated so many people out of so much money. He meets Jesus. You know what his response is after he meets Jesus? This is what he says. After he gets saved, he says, anybody I've cheated, I'm paying them back fourfold. If I cheated you out of $100, I'm going to pay you $400. Why? Why would he do that? Why not just pay $100, maybe a little bit of, you know, $110 maybe for the, the, the inconvenience? It's because money does not have a grip on Zacchaeus' heart anymore. He is now free to live a generous life because he's rooted in Christ and he's not rooted in money. Giving, my friends, of all kinds is the result of a changed heart. 
Let me read you Jesus' words in Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you her sins, this is the woman had been forgiven, which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The more that we see that we are those who've been given so much, the more we will want to give back. You know, one thing that fascinates me is it says in the Gospel of John that a lot of what Jesus said and did was not written down in the Gospels. You know this, right? And so one thing that I think is going to be really cool about heaven is we're going to get to find out stories of things Jesus said and things Jesus did which are not recorded in the four Gospels. But we actually are told one thing that Jesus said which is not in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. And Paul is quoting Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. So this shows that there were sayings of Jesus that were floating around the early church which never made it into the Gospels. You've all heard this before. From the lips of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God loves to give. The Gospel is a message of giving. There's joy in giving. There's freedom in giving. There's love in giving. When we, like God, come alongside a person or an organization and we say, I want to help you. I, I want to bless you. There's a blessing there for us. God is the most cheerful giver of them all. And the gospel is the story of God giving to us and not withholding from us. Let me say a final few things as we wrap up this series on stewardship. The first thing I want to do is I want to thank this congregation. I think this is remarkable. If a Christian had gone into a coma three years ago, maybe four years ago, and they woke up this morning, and I showed them the giving of Northeast Presbyterian by month, and I said, pick out the month when the church's beloved founding pastor of 40 years retired. Surely you'd, surely you'd be able to sort of see that from the giving chart. And oh, and also pick out the month when a global pandemic hit. They wouldn't be able to do it. And that's incredible. And along with the session, we are so grateful to God for how He has cared for this church for almost three years. Amen? I mean, nobody, starting with me, had any idea what the last three years would be like with our beloved founding pastor transitioning a global pandemic, and yet this congregation has been so generous, and we are thankful. And I also want to thank all of you, all of you on the live stream, who give to this church in so many ways other than money. What we do would not be possible. It would absolutely not be possible without all the volunteers, all the people who serve our kids, our students, um, and all the different areas of ministry. This church would not be possible. And God is well pleased by your gift of your time and your talents in other areas as well. So we thank you. I'll leave us and we'll leave this series with three questions for you to ponder.
as we close out this series and as we fully turn our attention to the joy of the Christmas season and Advent. Here are three questions that we can all prayerfully consider as we close out this series. The first is uh, something a deacon here told me, and I've never forgotten it. He told me a number of years ago, but he said, Josh, this is the principle I live my life by financially. He said, do I believe that God can do more with 90% of my money than I could ever do with 100%? one of our deacons told me that stuck with me second question do I believe that being generous goes hand in hand with being a follower of Jesus of course this is generosity in all areas and a final question dear friends for us all to think about do I believe that living generously in all areas not just financially is God's will for me and is for my best friends let's become more like God that's what he wants for us to become more like Him as what comes out of us is less of us and more of Him and more of others as we go out into a world with so much brokenness and pain. We'll never meet all the brokenness and pain of this world. That's why Jesus is coming back to make it all right. But to come out and to meet the needs of others, our own family members, of course, but beyond that as well, with the love and kindness, and generosity of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you only because you have first loved us. This morning, we rejoice in the message of the gospel, which cannot be earned and can only be received like a gift And if there are any who have not received that gift today, we pray they would receive it with open hands. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I receive you by faith. I turn from my sin. I can't earn it. I can only receive it from the most cheerful giver of them all. We love you, Lord, for your kindness and your faithfulness to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.